Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H. A-L-A-N-X dot com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, uh, join me in welcoming to the Responsible Leadership Podcast today's guest, Joyce Shulman. Joyce, thanks for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um I, I've looked into, you know, some of the things that, that you're about. I've watched your TEDx talk and all that. And, and you have a great philosophy here that uh, I know my listeners are going to enjoy. But before we get into that, I'm just curious, when you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? I've really been thinking about that question and that phrase. And what keeps coming up for me over and over again is the reminder that leadership, true leadership, responsible leadership, it's not about the leader. It's about the community, the team that they are leading. So for me, responsible leadership requires that you put your ego aside and it's just never about you. It's always about them. You know, I, I like that, and especially like looking through your book. So, uh, listeners, uh, one of the things we'll be talking about quite a bit here is uh, Joyce's book, uh, Walk Your Way to Better, 99 Wonks That Will Change Your Life. And and what I love about that answer there is when I look through these 99 uh, walks, uh, you never really make many of them about you. You you always use let's, uh, you use plurals, you use examples. Um, so that, that definition or your, your thoughts on responsible leadership fits perfect with, uh, uh, with these walks in your book. I appreciate that. You know, my husband and I actually have been business partners for 20 some odd years now, which is a really long time to work with your partner. But he coined an expression for us many years ago when we were leading a different community in a different business. And I remember he said one day, we're just the custodians of this community. We're just the custodians of this business. And that's always stayed with me. And that's truly my perspective on leadership. Well, yeah, and, and I think that uh, I mean that that is brilliant, and I, I think that's one of the things when I'm working with leaders that is really hard for them to grasp is, you know, they really think that they can, they can control and mold and and do every little aspect of of the business and the culture and and all that themselves, but you know, like like you just said there, your job really is to kind of create that environment, to be a custodian, to make sure that people are safe, both uh, physically and mentally and, and, and can grow and flourish versus just really being that micromanager hands-on type, right? 
Absolutely. And again, there's there's kind of ego with that. I remember I was walking with a, a friend of mine called me. This was about a year ago. And she said, you've built these really beautiful communities and these beautiful businesses. And I want to understand how I've been trying for a decade to do this with my business. Would you take a walk with me? Because anybody who knows me knows that the way to get me to engage in like a meaningful conversation is out in the woods on a walk. So I said, of course. And we spent about 40 minutes walking together, talking about all of the different permutations of her business and her growth and her community. And we came up with so many wonderful ideas and insights. And then as we were just getting back to the trailhead, she looked at me and she said, you know, I really want to do this because really what I want most is to become famous. And I thought, oh, this is... (laughs) Not gonna work. Yeah. Well, and 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 so that's yes, that's the other thing is is doing it for the. I don't want to necessarily say wrong reasons because I'm sure to her being famous was a perfectly valid reason, but you know, for the people who are going to follow you, you being famous isn't going to motivate them, right? Yeah, and it goes. It just all circles back to your initial question around responsible leadership. To me, responsible leadership is leading with a. I hate to use such a cliche, but leading with a servant's heart, not with a how many accolades can I rack up for myself heart. Yeah, definitely. So you've already used the word a couple of times. I mentioned the the title of your book, but. I think it's fairly fair to say that walking is a huge part of your life, huh? Walking is, has always been a huge part of my life, actually. So how did that come to be, if you don't mind? No, listen, I'm an open book, no pun intended. So (laughs) I, I, when I, I've always been active and I was raised in an active family. My dad's a retired coach and my mom is a retired professional dancer And I remember this one day, I came home from high school in a really bad mood. And I don't know if it was a bad grade or it was Bean Girls or it was a boy. It was high school, right? So it could have been any of those things. And my dad took one look at me and said, go for a walk and then we'll talk. And it was a beautiful spring day and I dropped my book bag on the couch in the den and I walked back out the door and I walked a two-mile loop around our neighborhood. And I remember to this day, when I walked back in the house, noticing the way my mood had shifted. And a light bulb went off for me around the fact that physical activity, a walk, being outside in nature, those things come together to have a really meaningful impact on my mood. And I just kind of held on to that throughout my life. And I used, and I've, I continue to use walking as a way I manage my stress. I create ideas. I process important things. I keep my weight at a healthy level. I keep my body moving. All the things through one really powerful practice. Yeah. No, there was so much when, when I was reading uh, kind of that origin story, if you will, there was so much that popped into my head because like, first of all, I was reminded of, of one of uh, Colin Powell's rules, which was uh, sleep on it. It always looks better in the morning. Uh, <laughs> and, and then it took me back immediately after that. It took me back to growing up in northeast Tennessee and, and where I lived, uh, there was a, a trail uh, literally right by my house. I, I grew up essentially on the Appalachian Trail, mm. uh, but this was just a little side trail. This wasn't part of the main Appalachian Trail. But whenever I was feeling down or, or moody or I just want to get away and be left alone, that's exactly what I did. I take off up the trail. I remember this clearing. I can still see it in my mind to this day. It was maybe a mile and a half, two miles most up the trail opened up to this clearing and there was a dead tree there that I just sat on. And, you know, after sitting there for a while, uh, you know, the, the, the squirrels and whatnot would get a company, uh, I get accustomed to you being there and you could watch them play in the trees. And it was just Zen. And I'm curious, have you held on to that practice throughout your life as a way to get away and process and fuel your creativity? You know, to be honest, no, because uh, I, I, as soon as I turned 18, I left and joined the Marine Corps um, and never really had that ease of access to that. Now, yes, I had opportunities to walk, 
But for me, it was it was being in the woods in nature, and I've I've never really lived back in that. I, I, but the the desire to do it is there, right? Like I always want to be back to that. Like that's my ultimate goal is to retire back in a spot like that. I hear that, but I will tell you that finding places where you can walk, even if you have this ideal in your mind, and you don't have that ideal. There's still so much value in it. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you one because we're all doing so much these days and, and called upon to create and problem solve and all the things. And certainly for your audience, a 20 minute walk has been shown to increase your ability to form creative ideas by 60 percent. Mm. That that makes so much sense to me. I mean, it, it really does. And and you know, one of the other things that it brought back to mind when we we're talking about that is, you know, as I mentioned, went to the Marines. Kind of the secret sauce to boot camp, if you will, is you walk everywhere. There, there's very few bus rides. There's very few. Like the only time you got put on a bus to go anywhere was if there were, uh, you know, if there was severe weather in the area and you had to go. Otherwise, we were walking, and I lost uh, in the three month uh, period of, of boot camp. I lost something like 35, 40 pounds just by walking everywhere. <laughs> yep, it'll do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this creativity thing and, and, and getting back, you know, with nature and all that, like, you know, I love that, that, that there's science that's proven that because those are things that our ancestors and, you know, I spent a year in Japan and, and the Japanese are really in touch with being out in nature. So it's nice to see science finally proving what we already knew for a few thousand years. Absolutely. And I always put the, the science and the research into three buckets or three pillars, if you will. And that's the impact of walking for your mind, your creativity, your executive function, your decision making, combating decision fatigue, all of those elements and more memory of fighting off Alzheimer's and dementia, so much around the mind. And then there's the mood. A ton of research showing the benefits of walking for mood and combating depression and anxiety. And, and last but certainly not least is the benefits of walking for your body. So it's a very easy practice that kind of checks all of those boxes. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just curious, just as you were talking about that, and, and I don't know if you have any of that research handy, but like, how does that compare with, say, bicycling? Uh, so I've never looked at the research as a comparison uh, in that way at all. So I haven't done a, uh, a comparison one or the other. One of the tremendous benefits of walking is that it's a lifelong practice. And for it, it provides some of the benefits, the mental benefits that people get from running. That time away, that time away from your screens, that runner's high people talk about. But running meaningful distance on a really consistent basis as a practice that you hold on to throughout your entire life, that's really tricky for a lot of people. Uh, and biking, I love to bike. Uh, so uh, again, it's one of those practices. It's just different. It's not an either or, but I've never done a compare, a head-to-head comparison on the research. Okay. No, a good deal. Um, all right. So listeners, as always, uh, my goal here is going to be able to give you uh, enough to where you're going to want to go out and buy a copy of the book, Walk Your Way to Better. Uh, but what I love about this is, is, is you know, you're, you're very on brand with everything. And instead of chapters, you have walks. Um, and so if you don't mind, let's uh, let's walk through a few of these walks here. <laughs> Uh, so you start off again, uh, where everybody should with let's begin. So what, what should people take away from that uh, walk, if you will? Let me talk a little bit about the, the underlying kind of principle of the book, which kind of launches, which we'll touch on that. But a lot of people look at the book and assume that it is kind of a how-to book or how many miles should I walk a day kind of. And that's not it. It really is focused on giving my readers 
thought starters, ideas, bits of research, things that I think we all need to spend a little bit of time thinking about and reflecting on. And in our always on world these days, we just don't do enough of that. And because walking is so powerful for your mind, for your opportunity to process, the the uh, premise of the book is to kind of give you those nuggets and encourage people to read a chapter, and they're fairly short, and then take that thought starter and that idea with them on a walk and give themselves the opportunity to really process. So there is just so much around us all the time. We're bombarded by input and information. I mean, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I definitely feel like I live my life with a little bit of information overload. And I try really hard to limit the input. In fact, I have a, a section in the book, a chapter in the book on controlling the input. But nevertheless, it does keep coming. So the book is an invitation for readers to read a chapter and take a walk. Yeah, no, and I really like that again, because I've seen um, and thank you for kind of unpacking that a little bit more there. Uh, you know, but I've seen like journals uh, that that are meant to do, you know, kind of this where they'll have a little thought exercise there. But, you know, I love you tying in. You know, the creativity, the thought process is associated with walking, with encouraging people to actually take a walk and, and do it. And so I thought that was a genius tie in there. You know, and for many of us, meditation is fantastic, right? There's so much new research and everybody's meditating. And if you're not meditating, the world is telling you you should be meditating. And maybe we all should, but there are those of us for whom sitting still for 15 or 20 minutes is really, really hard. But you can turn a walk into that kind of mindfulness meditative exercise. And by the way, get some physical exercise while you're at it. So it really does uh, trigger that kind of mindfulness opportunity. Well, yeah. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, there's all the different numbers about if you do something 21 consecutive times or whatever, it becomes a habit. Or if you do something for three months, I mean, you, you've got 99 walks for people to go on. And, and by the time you get through all 99 of these, it's probably pretty much become an ingrained habit, I'd imagine. Yeah, I talk about walking as in two ways. You can create a walking practice that's really a habit, and that's fantastic, right? You get up in the morning, you put on your walking clothes, you go walk your two miles, and it's just a habit. You do it before you even have the opportunity to talk yourself out of it. And then the other way to become a walker who uses walking as a as a tool for your own self-care uh, is to be what I refer to as an opportunistic walker. And that's the person who realizes that they're feeling depleted or feels that sense of anxiety coming up in their body and recognizes that the most effective way to combat that and to process that is with a walk. So we have many people in our community who have become both habitual walkers as well as opportunistic walkers and have started to use their walking practice as a deliberate form of self-care, which is spectacular. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. So uh, with that in mind, uh, again, walk number one was was let's begin. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, there's some folks who have trouble sitting still there, but you know, there's also some folks who do have trouble for medical reasons, whatever, with walking. Um, but with Let's Begin, why why is beginning so important? One of the oh, and now now we could go really deep down a rabbit hole, but uh, I believe that the industrial fitness complex, especially in this country, has really sold people a, a bill of goods that fitness and wellness looks a particular way. Mm -hmm. especially for women. So if you can't do a half an hour intense Peloton class, why even bother? And if you can't hike three miles, why even bother? And the truth of the matter is that we need to learn to celebrate every step, every moment, every walk. And 
we just have to start. And if starting for you means walking to the end of your driveway and back, that's amazing. And we need to really push back, I believe, against the messages that are telling us that exercise, fitness, wellness looks a certain way. No, I agree 100%, especially, uh, you know, with what you're talking about there with uh, (laughs) I like that industrial fitness uh, complex, because that's really what it is, is, um, you know, it's a lot of cookie cutter. There's there's a lot of pressure. I always get a um, always get a chuckle out of uh, I'll, I'll just say a certain franchise talking about how they don't judge, but every one of their commercials, they're judging somebody. Um and and it's putting all those pressures on 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 those stereotypes, um, because all of these companies only succeed if they convince you that there's something wrong with you, and they can help fix it. That's yeah. that's the uh, the recipe. That's the formula. Yeah. No. Definitely. De- well, to that note, uh, and again, I love the title of some of these walks, but let's fast forward a couple of walks here, uh, kind of on that same vein. Uh, walk number five is beware the voices in your head. And I imagine that a lot of these voices in your head get put there by by things like that, right? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And we've internalized so many of these negative messages that we think they're our own messages. And what's amazing is when you stop and think about children and how they walk through the world and how willing they are to make mistakes and how they don't judge themselves. They don't judge others. They don't even think these things until society or friends, using air quotes around friends or family or whoever it is, helps put these voices in your head. And then we make them our own, right? If we really stop and think about that, the world, society's putting these negative messages in our heads and now we claim them as our own. It's definitely a problem. No, you are a hundred percent right on that. And, and, um, you know, it, it's tragic. And, you know, I think again, um, fast forward in a couple more walks here, you talk about social media, friend or foe. Uh, you know, I, I really think that that has been a great accelerator, uh, for, for this type of negative stereotyping and negative self image. Would you agree? I would agree. I like the word accelerator. Uh, because I do think that there is a lot of attention being paid on the damaging elements of social media. And I think it is accelerating some of those things, but they were there before. Right. You know, they go back to, they go back decades and decades, especially for women who, if you don't look a certain way, you know, you're not going to catch a husband. And that goes back hundreds of years. So mm-hmm. these are not messages that are new to social media, but I think your phrasing is exactly right. Social media has accelerated it. And I think it's also made it perhaps brought it down in age a little bit so that these messages are hitting our kids at a younger age, which is problematic. Yeah, no. And again, I, I do appreciate that you keep coming back and, and you know, highlighting that these, these things disproportionately affect women. Sure. They affect guys too. There's, uh, you know, but let's just be honest. A lot of the advertising is really designed, uh, to nitpick at, at some of those insecurities that, that women have been hit with, like you said, for, for centuries. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, and I don't mean to suggest that this is not a problem, uh, unique to women. And it's just that for the last, Gosh, uh, 15 years, I have been leading communities of women and working with women. So often when I, when I refer to women, it's because that's the cohort that I know best. And it's funny because in our, our business, which is focused around encouraging women to build a walking practice, uh, we've had many conversations around the fact that men need to come to, so our focus is movement and community. Right. We're on a mission Mm -hmm. to get a million women walking together. And men are as lonely as women. Men are as deconditioned as women. And my challenge is I have no idea how to help you guys. 
I know you wrestle with a lot of the same issues, but gosh, I don't know how to help you. So I do focus often when I, when I speak or when I write, I do tend to focus on women, not because I think they're the only ones dealing with these issues, just that I know them better than the men. Yeah, no. And I think that's, uh, again, I think it's a good thing because I mean, they, they do uh, speaking as a man, these things do <laughs> disproportionately affect women and, and they're things that we need to to focus on because, you know, you'll see again, talking about social media, uh, you know, you'll see like these, these uh, like advertisements that wouldn't fly today, uh, you know, kind of telling women, Hey, if you don't get this type of vacuum, your man's going to leave you. And yeah, you know, but <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, for men, the, the, yes, there's a little bit of negative stereotyping and advertising, but it's not as bad. And if it is for the most part, um, you know, for most of us, we don't care. I mean, yes, it does hit us. Yes. You're right. We're lonely. Yes. We have all those things there, but it, it's just, it doesn't hit us as, as often. So when we see it, we kind of, I guess, recognize it for what it is. If that, if that makes sense. So I'm curious, do you think that social media has amplified those kind of negative voices for men? Because it is a little bit more depending on where you're spending your social media time, but you certainly can find more of that kind of messaging. Uh, and even if it's not just around physical wellness or your appearance, certainly around the uh, frankly, who's got the biggest house? Who's got the biggest paycheck? You know, there's all of those kinds of voices that I do think are strong in men's heads from my experience. You know, it's a really good question. I have zero data to, to back this up right now, but I, I think in a lot of ways for men that maybe social media has helped a little bit. Oh, that's and, interesting. Well, and and again, I could be totally wrong here, but when I look at like some of the folks who are big players, big influencers on social media, they're people that you probably wouldn't have seen like in movies on TV before, like um, Gary Vaynerchuk. Like if it weren't for social media, Gary Vaynerchuk would have never been known because nobody's going to cast him, you know, in a TV show. Nobody's going to cast him on, on uh, a news network. Um, Guy Raz with uh, uh, NPR, you know, he would never be like a news anchor in, quote, traditional uh, media just because, you know, he didn't fit that kind of stereotype, if you will. So I think, and again, this is my personal feelings. I'm, maybe some of my listeners are here yelling and screaming at me like, <laughs> you're totally wrong. But it seems like social media for men has gotten a lot more men that don't fit the, quote, masculine Arnold Schwarzenegger type role to be able to get out in public and, and have social media careers. I, I, yeah, I think that's certainly true, though. I, I would say there are certainly many women that fall into that category as well who would not have had the kind of uh, exposure that they've had. But that's been shifting with respect to women over the last uh, I don't know, I would say few years. I was going to say decade, but I don't think it's really a decade, but the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right there as well. And and I think that's one of the good things, like as, as much as social media can be negative, I think people are starting to figure out how to use it uh, uh, for good versus uh, the way some traditional advertising has been, uh, which, you know, maybe that that's that's part of the evolution uh, of, of humanity, right? Yeah, for sure. I agree. <laughs> no, I love that little conversation here. And thanks for the question. I, I don't get uh, I don't get asked questions back to me very often on the show. but I, So I really appreciate that. I, I do. So let me fast forward here because, um, again, I love some of the titles of these. And I really have to know, walk number 13, you won't fall in love with a Chinese delivery guy. What's that about? <laughs> It goes back to something that I alluded to earlier, which is around the loneliness epidemic that we are suffering from in this country. And this has been documented and spoken about and researched before the pandemic. And in fact, this, our Surgeon General, Dr. Murthy, is quoted as having said that the ramifications of loneliness 
are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day as far as their impact on your health and wellness. So, and again, that was before the pandemic. And what the truth of the matter is, first of all, if you feel lonely, chances are you're not alone because 72% of people acknowledge that they feel lonely. But what happens is there's a little bit of a cycle to loneliness. People feel lonely and disconnected and they retreat and they retreat and then they're more isolated and that tends to lead to more loneliness. And there's a cycle there that you have to, as an individual, fight pretty hard to combat. And the story I tell, which in the the book, which I, I won't I won't really delve into particularly, but there's an old uh, expression among young women living in New York City when I was a young woman living in New York City. And it was, you won't fall in love with the Chinese food delivery guy. Meaning if you want to meet people and you stay home and order Chinese food, you're not going to meet people. You're not going to make new friends. You're not going to have new experiences. And if you're looking for love, you're not going to find it. And I suppose this was long before uh, online dating. Maybe now you can find love, actually, as I'm thinking about it, sitting in your apartment eating Chinese food. But we crave human connection. That's how we're wired. That's how we're built. And in order to get that human connection, you have to go out and talk to people. Yeah. No, that one that one really uh, struck a chord with me because, uh, you know, that that's one of the big drivers with uh, the veteran suicide epidemic is is that loneliness, the not having, not having the people that can can identify with your experiences that you can talk to. And when, when you do, they look, you know, the, the people, when you do try to identify with somebody and they can't share those experiences, they give you that kind of side eye. And so, like you said, you retreat and the, the, it turns into this whole self-fulfilling prophecy and, uh, you know, tragically, it has uh, some terrible consequences for for far too many people. Uh, so that one really, really stuck out uh, to me. So I really appreciate you kind of putting that in there and getting people thinking, uh, thinking at that level. You know, I just my son is a student in Philadelphia, and he is working. He's on co-op, so he's on an intern program working for some mental health services in Philadelphia. And I just learned about vet, veterans court, vets court, which was fascinating to me. And I don't know if this is a nationwide, a national program, or this is something unique to Pennsylvania or Philadelphia. Are you familiar with it? I've not heard of it. No. Okay, so listen to this because this is brilliant. One day, I think it's a month, they have a fair number of vets who are in the system and in the legal system. And they have staffed a courtroom exclusively with vets. And what I mean by that is the judge is a veteran, the lawyers on both sides, the clerks, the everybody who services that courtroom on that day is a vet. And the only mm. cases that they see are cases where the defendant or the person who needs services are vets. Mm. Exactly to your point. And I thought, okay, somebody is really thinking. Yeah. I mean, that, that no, that's brilliant. I, I had not heard of that, but I think that is, uh, I think that's brilliant. Uh, I, I hope that uh, catches on because, uh, yeah, I mean it, it's it's needed. It's needed. and not just vets. You know, vets. Uh, you know, the veteran suicide epidemic gets a lot of of play, and, and again, rightfully so. But we've got a lot of people. We got young teens. Um, I, I read a statistic that uh, young teen suicide is growing at a rate faster than the veteran suicide epidemic uh, because of some of these things we've been talking about here. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I'm I, I'm sure all of that is true, but it 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 goes it just went to what you had said about people want to be understood. Yeah. Right? And you want to be around people who don't give you that that look of just and it's not their fault, right? They just don't get it. They just don't have the frame of reference to process your experience. Well, yeah, and, and again, going back to what you're talking about there with your your mission to get a you know a million women walking and and helping women put together the these walking groups and stuff. 
I, I love that because what you just said, like if I were to show up at one of these groups, I'm sure that, you know, I'd be accepted. I'm sure that all those things, but I'm just not going to be able to identify with that experience. I've never been a woman um, <laughs> and I'm not going to understand what, what, you know, the, those complaints are. So, um, you know, the, those people who have those shared experiences. Yes. I, I think we're a hundred percent in agreement there. It's extremely valuable. So let me go ahead and fast forward uh, a few more steps here because um, <laughs> this one really stuck out to me because I was a fan of the TV show. Uh, but walk number 29 is just Mork. So uh, does that have anything to do with Mork and Mindy? <laughs> it has nothing to do with Mork and Mindy, but it's a word that I made up that is an incredibly valuable word for all of the leaders who are listening. And I will share this story, how it came to be. So I was sending an email to my assistant. This goes back years. And I was writing really fast, right? Because I'm processing 400 emails a day. And it's just ridiculous, you know, the the load and the... Anyway, so I was writing fast. And I emailed her and I said, is this something we should do? Or is this just Mork, M-O-R-K? And she emailed me back and she said, by Mork, did you mean more work? And I was like, oh, we need a word for that. We need a word for the things we do, the tasks we do, the projects we take on that are not driving to our core mission, that are not essential, that are just more work. So anybody who has worked with me or for me over the last decade plus knows that mork is a word that connotes, is this something valuable and worth doing? Or is this just, are we just making more work? And don't you think we need an actual word that connotes that? I, a hundred percent. I mean, because <laughs> it's true. I mean, how many things do we do on a daily basis that really have no, I don't want to say they have no value, but they have no substantial value other than to fill space and time. Just more work. Just Mork. <laughs> I, I wonder how fast that, the. well, I really hope that this word catches on after this and we can get you in the dictionary as, as <laughs> the, the corner of this, uh, this word, because I love it. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's true. So how do you get people? So here's a good question. How do you get people to break that that cycle of just creating more work for the sake of more work and focusing on creating meaningful work that has a purpose? It starts, it's difficult for sure, but it starts with asking the question. So anytime I do an employee review and I ask my team in advance to prepare and think a little bit, one of the questions I always ask is, is there anything you do on a regular basis that's Mork? And I ask it just that way. And it's an invitation to team members to say, you know, I do this once a week, I do this every day, and I don't think this is having real impact. And it, it creates a conversation around, okay, is this just process for processes sake? Is this something that we built in is this something that was maybe important then and is no longer important now? So it really starts with just being willing to look at what you and your team are doing through the lens of, is this just more work? So I like that. It reminded me, as you were explaining that, it reminded me of um, uh, if folks have seen the movie, We Were Soldiers, is about uh, General Hal Moore. And um, he, he had a nightly ritual he said he would ask himself two questions. Uh, what are the things I did today that I didn't need to do? And what are the things that I didn't do today that I did need to do? And it gave him kind of what you're talking about there, a little bit of that clarity of, okay, I just, I did these things. That was Mork, if you will. See, we're going to make this, we're going to make we're this gonna a We're going to make thing. this a word. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it let him kind of, you know, go through his day and figure out what what was unnecessary. What could he have focused on more? What could he be sacrificed to be able to focus on the important things more? 
And I, I love that exercise. And as I'm reflecting on that right now, I think that exercise would be very difficult for me on a personal level because I think I would get to the end of many days and reflect back. And maybe this just means I need to start doing this ASAP. But I do think that I would get to the end of the day and think, oh, that was a waste of time. But here's the challenge around that. And I wrestle with this so often. So often we don't know what's going to have the impact. We don't know until it's done what proves to be important and meaningful because life is just not that linear. And there's a lot of serendipity that goes into our journey, our success, all the things. So I, it's a little, it's a little tricky. Well, you're right. And, you know, to his credit, that was one of the things. So, you know, uh, people would ask him, so, you know, like spending too much time with your kids or whatever, and he would always shoot back. No, that's the most important thing I could do every day. You know, it's, it's those types of things. Cause like you said, you don't know what the future is going to hold. So, uh, which actually kind of ties into uh, the the next one I want to jump to, and, and I'm jumping way ahead here. Play is mission critical. So, uh, wh- why did you put that in there? We are all programmed these days to work so flipping hard, right? <laughs> we honor the struggle, we honor the work, but there are really a couple of pieces to this. The first is play and fun has been shown to really fuel your productivity and fuel your creativity and all of those things we need to perform at our best. So on the one hand, it's important to walk away from your work or step away from your work and just have some fun if you want to be convinced that it's going to help you perform better. And the other side of it is life should have as much joy and play and fun and happiness as we can muster. It's good. Play is good on its own. But if you need to be convinced, it'll also help drive your productivity. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead again here just a little bit because I want to get this one in before we we start to wrap things up because I always love um, – to, to see people using terms that we did use a lot in the military and your walk number 80 is embrace the suck. So <laughs> what does that mean to you? Yeah, right. So it, I think it means a little bit of what it means to you. There's yep. uh, there's an expression that it takes what it takes, right? Sometimes. Yep. Uh, and it's funny, we were just talking about this the other day on, I, I host a weekly podcast as well. And we were just talking about this it just the the middle the grind the grit sometimes it just takes what it takes and if you want something that's important you are likely going to have to work for it and some of that work is going to kind of suck it's going to be hard or it's going to be tedious or it's going to be frustrating or it's going to be fill in the blank with which whatever your suck is Sometimes it's just going to suck and you've got to embrace that. You've got to be one with that. You have to see that as part of the process to get where you want to go. It's not rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> no, 100%. And, and I'm, I'm racking my brain here because there's a psychological term. There, there's an effect uh, that basically it, it talks about, uh, you know, the more you struggle to accomplish something, the more rewarding it is once you do. Um, and, and that, that is the thing that I, I love about this concept is like you said, it's a lot of hard work. There's, there's a lot that goes on and you mentioned your podcast, uh, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into scheduling, recording, editing, posting on social media. But when you start seeing those, those, uh, views and those listens rack up, it's like, yeah, that was worth every bit of it. Uh, Absolutely. Whatever it is that is important to you, of value to you, part of what your mission in this life is, the more, the harder you work at it, the more you will reap the rewards of it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right. I got one more for you here. 
Um, and it's, it's walk number 99, a no rules day. What does a no rules day mean? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm so glad you ended with that because it just occurred to me that I haven't had a no rules day in quite a while. Oh. But this, and I'm overdue for sure. So this actually comes out of when my kids were really little. And kind of as an experiment, one day I looked at my kids. I'll tell you what, what prompted it actually is I was tired of being the food police. And anybody who has kids knows that sometimes you're the food police, you know, no, Mason, you can't have ice cream for breakfast. No, Maddie, you can't have chocolate cake for lunch. You know, you're the food police. Eat a piece of broccoli. So there was one day I was just so tired of being the food police. And I looked at my kids and I said, it's a no rules food day. Eat whatever you want. And they looked at me like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and giving them the sort of flexibility to eat whatever they wanted. It was a very interesting experiment. Uh, and what I discovered is, at least for my kids, if I say it's a no rules day, they do not eat a gallon of ice cream and call it and call themselves good. So it worked out pretty well. But uh, to everything we've been talking about around work and effort and embracing the suck, Sometimes you need a day with absolutely no rules. You need a day where you can just follow your curiosity, listen to your body, eat what you want, sleep as late as you want. And if you identify those days as valuable and if you call a day a no rules day, it becomes separate and different from your other days. And the element of, I can't believe I was a complete slug yesterday, all of that goes away because this was a no rules day. That's what you decided it was going to be. And you can just enjoy every minute of it. I love that idea. I, I haven't had one of those myself in a really long time. And uh, I'm sitting here thinking I'm, I'm in my head as you're describing. I'm like, that's what Sunday is going to be. Yep. <laughs> that's exactly yep. what I'm doing this weekend is nothing. I love it. And it's not, again, like it's not even just do nothing. It's, it's even stronger than that. It's do whatever you want. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Well, Joyce, this has been a fantastic conversation. I can't believe we've already been chatting here for about 45 minutes. And, uh, you know, listeners, we've only touched on maybe, I don't know, I, I didn't keep track, maybe eight or 10 of these walks. So, you know, not even 10% of the book. And, and just as a reminder, uh, these can be found in Walk Your Way to Better, 99 Walks That Will Change Your Life by Joyce Shulman. Um, I'm real curious, though, before we wrap things up here, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to go over that you'd like to leave listeners with? We, we certainly touched on it, but I do want to circle back to the incredible power of an intentional walking practice for your mind, your mood, and your body. Because there are so many people struggling right now with so much, so much physical challenges post-pandemic, emotional challenges as people are heading back to work. Not There's a lot going on right now. And I... I just encourage everybody to just, if you do not have a regular intentional walking practice, do me a favor and take a single walk over the next couple of days. But as you do that, make a mental note when you start and when you end and see how you feel because it really does have the power to change your life. I like that. That's a good challenge. It's a very good challenge to throw out there. And uh, yeah, so again, I just want to say thank you very much for for writing this book, um, having the discussion that we've had. Um, if folks want to find out more about you, want to find out more about you know these walking practices that that you help set up, uh, find more about the book. And and please, you know, we kind of mentioned that you do a podcast, but go ahead and share the name of your podcast and, and where folks can find it and, and find the rest of these resources. Sure. So you can find all things me uh, on my website, joyceshulman.com. I'm on social media at Joyce R. Shulman because somebody apparently has Joyce Shulman, but they don't use it. So on social media, I use my middle initial. So it's Joyce R. Shulman. And my company is 99 Walks. And we have 
all the tools and a really fun program designed to encourage people to get out, set their own walking goals, take on monthly challenges, and really get moving. Uh, and the podcast is The Weekly Walk. Outstanding. So the podcast, is it uh, is it meant to, you know, is it meant to listen while you're walking? So I actually do two podcasts a week. One is the weekly walk, which is a lot of mindset, goal setting, uh, and I don't know, whatever else my husband and I want to talk about on any given week. And then once a week, I do a walk and talk, which is a live streamed podcast, which I do absolutely encourage people to listen to while they're walking. Well, Joyce, again, thank you for spending this time uh, with, with me and my listeners. I know they've got a lot of value out of it, and I know they're going to go buy a copy uh, of the book uh, because, you know, this is this is a nice little uh, tool to have in your toolkit here. Uh, but again, thank you for a great discussion, and thank you for spending time with us today. It was really an honor to be here with you. Thank you. All right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast. Electricast.